2: Hello and welcome to Off The Beat and Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore it's another episode. And I've got a great episode for you today. I sit down with BAFTA award-winning actor Chris Riley. Uh, You've probably seen Chris in the recent uh, Guy Ritchie film, uh, Wrath of Man. He's been in Game of Thrones. Uh, He's been in The Last Post, Industry, and he's also... Uh, working on Slow Horses, uh, a new series for uh, Apple TV, which looks absolutely incredible. Um, aside from all of that, he's got great taste in music, and his story's amazing. He, he, I won't give too much away ahead of the chat, but for somebody that's accomplished so much and in, in the world of acting, it seems crazy that this was something he stumbled into quite late in life. Uh, and the stuff that he'd done in the lead up to that, is quite remarkable and we, we discussed that on this episode and uh, yeah you're in for a treat on this one before we uh, kick that chat off I have to do a few thank yous because that's our podcast work you have to you have to thank people and you have to mention people that are are helping support the podcast and such so those people are Mr. Scroobius Pip and uh, he's got a a podcast network he's the guy that's responsible for for me getting involved in podcasts he's the guy that's Said, yeah, just do your own one. Which seemed ridiculous because I have no background in this sort of thing. Uh, and I'm so glad he did because I'm still having the best time doing it. So that network he's got, it's got, you know, I'm, I'm in an incredible company there. You know, Brett Goldstein, who's... I mean, I only saw a, a picture of Brett yesterday on Sesame Street in a dustbin with Oscar the Gratch. I mean... <laughs> Brett Goldstein's films to be buried with podcast. If you've not checked it already, then go check it because a Brett's one of the loveliest human beings you will ever meet, and that podcast is absolutely amazing. Uh, and on the you know seeing what he's achieved in the last sort of few years, and I hope you all have watched Ted Lasso uh, and seen you know what's come of that show. It's absolutely amazing, and Brett's got a huge back catalogue. Of episodes with some remarkable people, lots of the cast members of Ted Lasso are on there as well, all talking about films. A kind of similar-ish format to this, uh, but 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 they talk films, obviously, not records. Um, and I've been lucky enough to have gone on there and and talked about my films very early on in the podcast. Um, and, yeah, there's so many other amazing podcasts on that network. And, and obviously, this was all started by the Distraction Pieces podcast. Scroobius Pip's incredible podcast. And, oh, my God, has he had some names on there. Go and uh, – I, I don't need to tell you to go and look at that because the reason that you probably have, you know, discovered this podcast is via Mr. Pip. Um I'd also like to thank uh, 76, who produces these podcasts. You know, I-, I used to go and sit in studios and record them. And then obviously due to the situation that the world found itself in, we started remote recording. And so he does his best to to ensure you get a nice, warm sounding podcast with this uh, Zoom audio. Um, so huge thanks to 76. The biggest thanks always go to you lot for continuing to support Uh, this podcast and just just be bloody lovely you know uh, you still give me the likes the loves the shares the retweets on all the socials and the subscriptions seem to be growing so yeah thank you so much I, i really appreciate it because hey i'm just i'm just wandering down to the end of my garden sitting in my shed and having these chats with these beautiful people and and this is very much one of those chats it's it's a absolute belter um if it's your first time um, listening to this podcast uh, and you like hearing actors talking about their creative journeys uh, and the songs that have been really important, you can hear me talking to Eliza Butterworth, Maxine Peake, Amanda Abington, Michael Smiley, uh, Alan Seeper-Mustafa, Big Tom Davis, uh, oh gosh, Joanne Hartley, Thomas Turgoose, like some absolute incredible talents you can hear me having some lovely chats with them uh, all available for free in the back catalogue alongside another 370 episodes so go and have a little rummage some of the artists that we talk about today on the podcast have been on as guests as well so at the end once you finish this uh this ace natter go and explore that back catalogue best deal just subscribe that's the best thing Anyway, enough, uh, enough pre-show waffle. Let's get on to some uh, grade A waffle now. Please enjoy Off the Beat and Track podcast with the wonderful Chris Riley. Right, I've got to take a quick break in this podcast because I've got some super exciting news. Off the Beat and Track podcast is proud to go into partnership with the Cacao Bar from Hotel Chocolat. That's right. The Cacao Bar is not a chocolate bar. It's all the best bits of a chocolate bar put into a really exciting new alcoholic range. That's right. Gin, vodka, and a beautiful range of cream liqueurs. So one of the big bonuses of this partnership is obviously I'm super thrilled to have Hotel Chocolat working with us, but they sent me a great big box of this stuff. And I'm telling you, it's amazing. Go and check it out www.hotelchocolat.com or over on the socials at Hotel Chocolat but yeah in the coming months there's going to be opportunities for you to get involved with competitions with us to win bottles of stuff there's loads of exciting things coming soon and I can't be more happy to say that this podcast is in partnership with the Cacao Bar from Hotel Chocolat alright let's get back to the podcast it's off the beat and track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network with me, Stew with Okay, we are recording. Chris, how are you doing today? Very well, sir. How are you? Yeah, I'm okay, thank you. I'm uh, I'm okay. Where are you today? Where's home? I'm in Glasgow, a little place called Clyde Bank, which is just outside Glasgow. A little shipbuilding
1: town. Used to be now. It's a commuter town, but
2: yeah. Lovely stuff, lovely stuff well, well we'll We'll get back to the the formative years and home and stuff uh, throughout this this chat I'm sure many times um, ahead of that, I just want to cast your, your mind back maybe over the last two years um, and just to kind of get a, a little snapshot of how you found those two years, both as Chris Riley person human being uh, and creatively
1: difficult um difficult um in the first year I worked zero in in 11 months I just bought a house I had a mortgage to take care of and um as a self-employed person I had 11 months with no money coming in and very few options to make money um I kept myself busy I did a podcast of my own and Um, aimed at actors who wanted to be actors and and, and trying to kind of keep creative in that respect but um, other than that I just looked after my niece and and schooled her, I set up a little school in the back of the the house and and we did that during lockdown the second year I was lucky enough to get um, a project called Slow Horses which is for Apple TV and I started that in February 21 and so we then embarked on trying to film two seasons of that with the restrictions, which in itself was pretty hard because you would you'd have to create bubbles and they would have to send a car and they'd have to have a driver stay overnight and then pick me up in the morning and then drive me all the way from Scotland down to, to London and arrive on set and be tested again and all these other things and we tried a number of ways of doing that, but um, it, it was it was pretty difficult and also my mum got sick and so I moved house and I've actually built her a house right there at the bottom of my garden and I had to do it myself really because getting um getting labor and getting tradesmen and getting materials so I built a house I gave myself a hernia
2: Um, (laughs) (laughs) did you actually give yourself a hernia I actually did. Oh shit, man! I was, <laughs> I was
1: drinking a can of Fanta, and it just popped out. And I'm like, no.
0: "What
1: is that?" And I'm like, 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 So I phoned the doctor and described, and they said, "No, that's a hernia, mate." And I said, "Right, okay, well, get me in and get it done." And so, um, I, again, I, I, I went and got it fixed. And mum, mum is, um, mum's a unique human being, and so she, like, it was an open surgery; it wasn't keyhole or anything, and. It, it, Stitches and stuff and the next day after I got my stitches, Mum says, Oh there's stuff needing cleaned up in the garden. Surely you could just lift some light thinking just...
2: <laughs> Get on with it, man. Come on.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't write it. You couldn't write it, mate.
2: Lovely, lovely. Well look, let's start your playlist and uh, for track one, I'm gonna ask you please, Chris, to tell me the song with the greatest ever intro. Money for nothing, dire straits. said that very confidently. Was there anyone else in the running for that, or was it straight
1: no, to that? No, straight to that. The The album actually reminds me of... He's not an uncle, he's my dad's friend. Um, and and the, so the album reminds me of my uncle. He loves it, and so it came instantly to mind. Uh, the, the Maybe not the long one, maybe the radio edit is just enough for most people. Um, but yeah, I think that's, that's perfect.
2: See, I think... The full version, the, 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 you know, the, the full wanky bit with Sting doing the, oh, all of that. I think that's all right, but it makes it, when it drops, all the better. It's, it's the Aye. calm before the storm, and it builds you up, and then it, it, I think you get the payoff then. I mean, it is a riff beyond riffs anyway, but I think Aye. just with that little bit of, like, atmospheric warbling and whatnot, I think it just makes it that much better when it does come.
1: Aye. For me, when the drums come in, when they start going, <laughs> you're like, "Oh, it's coming! It's coming!" <laughs> but I was tight. I think I was timing it. I think it's two minutes and six seconds before before you have even hear my.
2: I it is. I
1: think it is on the full one, so it's, it's kind of mad. Is you'd never get to play it on the radio in that that way. So they cut it for the radio. But I love but,
2: it. That's one of the things that's just. It it comes up time and time again when I speak to musicians on this podcast that people will choose tracks such as "Money for Nothing" and "Bohemian Rhapsody" and these iconic. Like I think, alongside "Thriller," I think "Brothers in Arms" was probably the one of the biggest selling records of the of the eighties. One hundred percent, if not of all time, it was it was a monster selling record, wasn't it? And the thought that you know that was a single. I think, and obviously that the video was so iconic as well. I think it was just as MTV was launched, wasn't it? And then that yeah. video was so state-of-the-art, the wasn't
1: Leon it? And the the, the oh, was mad. and the bandanas.
2: Yeah, <laughs> of course. And, like, what's weird is, like, I always remember, like, looking at, at Dire Straits and thinking, like, because, well, I'm 48, so I reckon in the 80s, what was I? Like, I, I guess in my early teens. I, and I remember, like, looking at Dire Straits and thinking, God, they're like granddads. And, like... But I think when you look at how old they were when that came out, they were in their 20s. And, I, like, and it just seems crazy because I just think like they were forever old men dire straits. Do you know what I mean? But like you think <laughs> they were in the prime of their life rocking it. I, but like, I remember just thinking, God, yeah, my dad likes them. Like, they, they all look a bit old as well. But they weren't. It's, uh, but then again, you look at the music of that time compared to now and you think the biggest pop stars in the world would have been dire straits phil collins eric clapton you know and these were you know we're all kind of i guess middle-aged men a lot of them and you wouldn't get that now i just don't think but i don't know i suppose robbie williams is a middle-aged man now maybe i don't know
1: i as it, a kind of dying breed the the music is is the, the the type of music that kids listen to now has changed but I mean, I used to work in a pub in Highgate called the Boogaloo. and oh, I, used the, do,
2: I used to do Boogaloo radio there. Did you? <laughs> yeah.
1: you know, So you know Jerry. Jerry yeah. I mean, as, 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 as hard to know as Jerry is, he, 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 I would consider him a friend now. He's yeah. done so many favours for me. Um, in fact, I did a photo shoot for um, some publicity I've got going, and he just handed me the keys to his pub. How generous is that? Yeah. Just to, There you go, there's the keys. I've got another meeting, Chris. <laughs> um, so, I, I Jerry's, Jerry's a lovely man. Um, but no, they, I mean, the, the songs that people used to love there, even on a Friday and Saturday night, were Fleetwood Mac and, and Dire Straits and all that kind of, you know, that generation, that yeah. late 90, 80s stuff. Um, so there's got to be something in that, isn't there?
2: Yeah, good songs are good songs. I, I just think... What what we have lost now is new bands being able to go to a record label with a Money for Nothing or a, or a Bohemian Rhapsody. Aye. They'd get laughed at the building now. They're like, you can't have a two-and-a-half-minute intro. Like, no. Kids are on TikTok. You know, they want the song done and dusted in a minute. Like, We've
1: lost the album, though, haven't we, really? We've lost the album in a lot of ways. hundred percent.
2: And again, well. the, 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 that album culture is something that does come up on here. And it's when you think of Brothers in Arms as a prime example and – you Know and, and whether you you know want to look at any of like Tusk or Tango in the Night or, or any sort of epic records by by these artists, they would have spent hours and days meticulously like putting their how's this album going to work, what, what track we're we going to put where and on that track listing, and now they just cherry pick the track off of iTunes and you never hear it as a body of work. Do you know what I'm saying?
1: Exactly, because one, one track to the next, you can't drop the ball, you've got to try and create a different mood or a thing like. And there are like there's some there's from that era there's just some awesome albums like t- t- I've got one track I won't I won't see it but there's an, an awesome, there's a couple of awesome albums coming from tracks from awesome albums coming up but you said about the generational thing this album this or the music of stretch really connects me to my dad's generation and it's that transition when you become an adult and your dad's friends sometimes become your own friends yeah that's connected me to them because we like the same music you know um and so my dad's friends that are now my friends in the same way we, we connect in a way through th- those memories and they remember me as a little snotty kid you know yeah. but somehow I, I, I get i get to be in the squad because i actually like the same music you know
2: love it love it right well let's do track two uh, i'm going to ask you please to tell me the first song you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you please chris
1: this is a real downer. (laughs) This is one of those ones where it sinks the mood. You know, the second track in the album should never be like this, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. It's a When I See You Again from Fleetwood Match um, from the Tango in the Night album. Um, And that album was an album that my dad had bought um, just after he'd split up with my mother. Um, And I wasn't allowed to see my mother for whatever reason. Um, And so my dad brought us up. But I just remember being so tragically in pining for my mum, you know, and, and the situation she was in and how difficult things were for her at the time that um the little I knew at that age at ten or Bushy,
2: eleven.
1: Right. Yeah, I was ten or eleven I um and I just remember bawling and crying um when 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 I when when I would hear it or I would listen to it, you know, and it was it was a real difficult time. But the actual album I, I, I love, um, and there was like so many other tracks, because my, my dad would just play an album. You would, you would sit in the car with your dad and it would be a tape, so it would be an album you'd play, unless it was one of the you know now ones or something. Um, so it was this album. It was a toss-up between this album and the Faith album. Yeah. Um, and my, me and my dad used to listen to. Um, so this one got it because it was so emotional.
2: I've recorded about six podcasts this week, um, and, and on this question, all six of you, have referenced being in a car with your parents like mm. for this point it's amazing like that so many formative memories are being in a car with your parents to being exposed to that music and like i don't know if that's still a thing i hope so and because it it it, it, it presents itself constantly that people pick a track and then they go yeah you know it was like i remember like we'd have to commute to here or or you know on family holidays you know my dad had always put this album on, and this was the song and it's crazy like how such you know songs like that just resonate and stick in your mind and like and you can always picture it as well it's just like yeah, I can picture I was in a car with my dad like it's incredible, absolutely mm. incredible um you know if if a song's going to cut through you we, we, we you know with a situation it was in which you know which sounds you know, a, a, a crazy situation for a 10, you know, a 10 year old boy to try and have to sort of process. Oh my God. I mean, that song is different level. Beautiful as you know, anyway. Oh, and, like, and yeah, to kind of be making sense of that at such a young age as well. That's heavy, man. But mom lives with me now. Mum's at the back.
1: <laughs> He's right there. <laughs> making my life hell. <laughs> But no, in a car, I suppose it's the only... It's one of the few circumstances where silence is acceptable, isn't yeah. it? And you're both in that place of collective reflection, especially when conversation is difficult about a difficult subject or whatever. And sometimes a song will come up that just says it all, and that's that's what stays with you, definitely.
2: I mean, aside from being out and about in the car, like was it a musical house? Was, was the radio on at home growing up? or
1: Not with my father. My father actually... I love my dad and we got on great now but my dad actually made you feel very foolish about liking music which for somebody who's going into the creative industries is a kind of weird thing um but I always listened to my music on my headphones because my dad would always have some derogatory comment about the particular artist that I was listening to um and I I, I don't know why that is because he loves music himself and all the albums he chooses are probably the same ones that I would choose but um he would always say something off the cuff, and you know, oh, you're not listening to that. You know, the, whatever you know, and you're like, "Oh, aye, I love it." <laughs> you know? But I guess, so, um,
2: I guess your parents aren't meant to like what you like. I, I, I guess, I don't know. I, 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 I think that it was definitely the case for me as well. I remember like my dad often walking past my room and just going, "What's this shit?" And it was like, <laughs> <laughs> I'd be like. I is well good. It was like, oh shit, and it was like, <laughs> and it kind of like it hurts you a bit, doesn't it? Because you just think like, but I think in retrospect, I don't know. Maybe it's just every kid's rebelling and it's a bit punk, and and you know, and you maybe it's just your parents feeling a bit old.
1: aye well, maybe it's but you, you know the way of music makes you feel good, and you get your strut on, and you're like, yeah, you know, and, and then <laughs> all of a sudden your dad will come along and tick the legs away for you and say, "What's that garbage?" <laughs> you know, you're like. Oh, <laughs> that defines
2: me. That's oh, brilliant. Right. Brilliant. I mean, ha- uh, no, do you know we'll get to that uh, uh, a little bit later. I always ask guests as well what that emotion was attached to that um, that memory and that song. But obviously it's going to be one, uh, it's quite self-explanatory and it's definitely one.
1: Pining. Aye, pining, I suppose it was. I didn't really, I knew everything about what was happening um, and, and I knew why I couldn't, you know, be with her. Um, but it really, really stung. It really hurt. And also there was a, a lot of worry going on in my mind about how, if I could do anything um, and, and if, if uh, because she was in such a difficult place and, yeah. and uh, I really, it, it's it's just the feeling of, of being absolutely incapable of doing anything. Yeah. You know, when you are as a kid, you're not capable, but you wish you were, you know. Yeah. You'd have dreamed of being Superman or something and be yeah. able to Get your personalised plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
2: For track 3 I'm going to ask you for the song that reminds you of your time at school, please, Chris.
1: (laughs) Um, It said, damn, it feels good to be a gangster by the Ghetto
2: Boys. (laughs) Tell me about that. I'll take it school was Glasgow, yeah? School was Glasgow. Okay.
1: I, um, I went to... Uh, so uh,
2: and I, I can't
1: really recall the type of music I might be into in primary school. In the early years of secondary school, I went to an all-boys school, which amalgamated by the girls' school. And then in sixth year, I went to the school that was back in my mother's place. So I, I moved away down to Alexandria, which is only about 20 miles away from Clydebank. But I moved back with my mother and, and I went to another school in, in um, sixth year. And I had to make a whole new group of friends, people that I vaguely remember, some of them from primary school. And so I had to be kind of accepted again. And all they listened to in the common room was gangster rap. I mean, the girls would obviously fight for something else, but the boys were just into gangster rap. And I'd never really heard any of this stuff before. And I actually really, really liked it. Um, so that's that's kind of what we listened to, um, was, was gangster rap. And there was a whole load of tracks that could have been um, could have been up there, but I thought, you know, nothing says it like this particular track.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. Did you enjoy school?
1: I was, I did enjoy school because school was validation for me. I was prodigious. I was, I was very good at school. <laughs> I was a, I was a bit of a prodigy, and um, I, I would, um, I'd get the highest marks at everything, and then be, you know, teachers would want me to take the classes until. I hit the age of 16 where, um, because of my experiences at home, I decided that I was in charge and I was an adult and that they'd no business speaking to my parents about anything to do with me. Um, and I remember telling teachers to fuck right off at that point. Um, because it was one teacher in particular who, who wouldn't let me go to a university open day because I'd missed the cut. And I'd missed it because of some real deep personal issue. And the, some of the teachers got it and really helped me. And I'm still friends with them, friends with my old teachers. But some of the teachers didn't, and they just came down in a way that seemed to me to be unnecessarily abrupt. And so I just told them to get fucked. And so <laughs> I would do things that I remember, just kicking a ball through a window once, then getting into the class and asking for it back. I just thought fuckies. So I, 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 I didn't, I didn't rebel. I, I, I kind of just decided that I'd had enough of the shit. <laughs> so that was the, the so I loved school, but in the end, school
2: hated me. <laughs> was she confident?
1: No, uh, I was confident in myself. Um, I was confident that I can. I, I was small, I was very small, I was no sort of fighter. Um, I was, uh, but, but, and, and Mac, you know, in, in the Glaswegian masculine culture that's I suppose highly regarded but I always was good friends with with the boys that were and I never really got difficulty in that respect but I I wasn't you know I wasn't um I I was confident enough you know but but I still had those school wasn't my main thing my main thing was outside of school I was I was I had other shit going on you know so I just um I, I, I I I didn't yeah, I, I wasn't. I would. I wouldn't say I was confident though.
2: No. What did you want to be when you was at school?
1: Scientist or an artist. I actually wanted to go to art school. Um, I'll do something with that, and then I never wanted to be an actor. Um, and but I, I was pretty good at science, and I love physics and chemistry and and all that sort of thing. So I went to I went to Strathclyde Junior and did applied physics. Uh, And again, I get the same sort of problem there. So I I fucked that off and went to Leipzig and pretended to be a builder. Uh, I pretended to be a joiner. I built a convent and then, you know, things, various different jobs and all the rest of it. But i I, That's some
2: pinball. That is some pinball from applied physics to going to go and jump on a building site and see how that goes.
1: So worked every night after school from the age of 15. Um, went to uni and didn't like it very much, left after year two, went to Leipzig, built a convent, pretended to be a joiner. Then I worked on the roads and railways where, if your name's Riley, you can get a job with the, with the, with the, <laughs> with the, with the paddies, no problem. Um, and so I would work on the roads and the railways and just do that for a while, drifted for a bit, bumped into a great boss. He put me in touch with uh, his company and they hired me as a recruitment consultant. I uh, did that for a while, and um, then I went into business development, and then I returned to the homeless unit that I grew up in, and I changed that into a housing support service, and I ran that for a few years. Then I ran children's homes. Then I became an actor.
2: Fucking hell! <laughs> not <laughs> not. <laughs> Throughout all of that journey, and I don't, I don't, I don't want to sort of just you know just skim over that because that's. That some journey you, you said that you considered art school uh you know uh, uh, art college when you was at school yeah when you was doing all of these things in, in business and setting up you know what you were setting up what was your creative outlet because obviously there must have been something there because you found it now but throughout all of them years like you know what, what was your outlet creatively
1: drawing and painting I I and I, I totally agree with Everybody needs a creative outlet. I, 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 and it was I was so fortunate to have it because it's what got me through. Um but I, when I found and I never knew I wanted to be an actor, but when I found acting, just doing drama, um doing um musicals with the local amateur dramatics society while I was running the homeless unit, that hobby then became my um that hobby became my profession over the course of a number of years. Um but yeah, it was it was mostly drawing and painting.
2: Wow. So just tell me a little bit about the work that you've done for the homeless, because that sounds pretty remarkable, mate. So I grew up, um, my,
1: my, when my dad and my mum split up, my dad got a bed and breakfast. That's the business that they had bought, and then they decided to split up after having bought that together. And so he was left with this big building that that really wasn't in a place that could um, leverage a business out of tourism. So he turned it into a kind of halfway house, if you like, taking homeless people who were DSS. Um, so I grew up. Um, with all these super interesting characters at uh, uh, very uh, pivotal moments in their life or, or either rock bottom or getting out or, or like, great stories as well as tragic stories. Um, and so I grew up in, in close contact with, with all these people from from the, the different circumstances they came from. And then when I left and then come back, um, I, I, it was a family, it was a business, if you like, you know, I wasn't making much money. Um, but I um, I turned it into a housing support service. With the um, we were going to turn it into a charity, but I I, I ended up I didn't because, I, bluntly, I, it was it was morally dubious. You know the the the, the way the finances work um, with a charity charging X amount for the building and this and that, you make more money as a charity, and I just. It left a bad taste in my mouth. But we did good work. Um, We were a housing support service. We created a new sector of service with the Scottish Care Commission called a mixed moist house, which means that we would have people from all different backgrounds with all different sorts of issues who could stay and even fail as long as their issue didn't negatively impact the, the care plan of anyone else around them. And it worked
2: phenomenally well. That's incredible. Absolutely incredible. I'm going to move on to track four, though. And I'm going to ask you to tell me the first song you remember buying from a record shop, please.
1: So it was Kings of the Wild Frontier, the album by Adam and the Ants. This is the one with me and the cans in the living room go nice. to my dad. Going, That's terrible. Um, and I've picked Dog Eat Dog from that because I just like the kind of, the, the, the way that it goes, you think it's going to go one way and then it goes, it goes another way, you know? Um, and I just I loved that album. Yeah. Standing Deliver, I don't think is on it, but that was that was one of the favourite singles. That's the one I used to kind of run yeah. around. I used to, you know, my dressing gown. But um, yeah, that was that was the first one.
2: And I think just the nature of Adamant's look. Mm. If you're a you know you're a middle aged dad, you're just gonna <laughs> you're not gonna understand it. I you know I, like I say I'm 48, so when I saw. Adamant on top of the Pops. I'm sure the same as you did. He was the coolest thing on two legs. You know, he looked so cool. I wanted that white stripe across my nose. You know, I, I wanted the full Adamant look. I thought he was, he's how pop star should look. I think it was Ooh. such a strong striking image and yeah. Love him a bits. Absolutely love him. Um, and, and what a great record as well. Um, well, record shop's, Oh, did record shops become a a, a a sort of an interesting place for you as you sort of, you know, started to sort of get, get a little older and, and develop music taste?
1: Not really. Um, I didn't really have, I mean, I was like five, so I was six or seven, I think, when this album comes out. So yeah. um, I, I had to ask my parents to get it for me. Um, I didn't really have pocket money per se. I never really got any. Um, I did work... I had a lot of chores to do as a kid. My dad used to have a business called Clean Easy as well, a supplementary business, and I would chase his car around the streets delivering these catalogs. So I don't know if I had a lot of spare time. Yeah. Um, and I didn't. Um, I hung around with friends and stuff like that, but none of us had enough money really to go and buy records. Yeah. Um, and so we would take the radio and stuff, and, and we would do all that. But um, I never really had the money for record shops. But um, my dad would occasionally. You know, buy him an album, and he had a load of old old albums that I like. He'd, he'd load out and join stuff, um and, and you know various different things. So I, I kind of got to listen to that. But I, yes. no, I never. Record shops weren't a big thing for me, but there, there was a lovely one in, in the in the in the local local area, and, and you could go in there and you know mooch around until the guy kicked you out for not buying anything. Like,
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, if record shops weren't your thing, moving on a few years, was clubbing your thing.
1: Clubbing for me was a way to meet women. Yeah, that was what it was. When I, that was my kind of, you know,
2: the. Do you know what? I'm glad you said that because so many, so many people come on here and dress it up and talk about why they were going, and and ultimately everybody goes there in, you know, that single with the hope of meeting someone. Right.
1: It was a courtship. Yeah. Um. And so I was at, um. You know, it's not a question you've asked, but I was late when I lost my virginity. I was 19, and which is late for a Scottish yeah. young girl, you know. Um, and so I would go along, I would try and get into clubs when I was 17 or 18 and, but too many people knew my father, so I just couldn't. So 18, 19, 20 was when I was trying, you know, desperately to meet, to meet ladies and, and, um, I wasn't very successful, but you know, it was, um, it was, it was just a way, it was just a courtship. It was a way to meet people. Yeah.
2: And so what track kind of symbolizes, uh, your memories of them?
1: All right, so hold on a minute. It's um I like to move it, <laughs> by reel to reel. Um, <clears throat> this is a track that was pretty much ruined for me on a stag weekend because a guy that was on the stag weekend had a McDonald's toy. You know those little toys you yeah. get, and it was lot, and all it does. I like to move it, I like to move it, and that was it, it. Gave you the eight bars, and that was it. Anybody? He had the microphone at the front of the bus as we travelled to Kenny oh, and he put yeah. up against it, and it just like, and it, it was past the point of funny. He did it for like thirty minutes. People were throwing things at him. <laughs> Shut up, stop it! Um, but before that, whenever it came on, and you'd be like, whenever it came on in the club, it was, it was like, it was cool because it was, it was okay to dance to because it wasn't a particularly, you know, one of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was a kind of you could have a laugh, I suppose. So yeah.
2: You like to dance? I do.
1: I really do. <laughs> I love it. Um, I'm terrible. Um, <laughs> but I, 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 do love, I do love a wee dance. Song.
2: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things.
1: Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
2: Lovely, lovely. Well, look, let's take you home for track six. And I'm going to ask for uh, a favourite song from your home county, please.
1: This is an odd one um, because it's not someone who's in the mainstream um, but his music is beautiful, and I would ask anybody to check it out. It's by an artist called Barry James, who lives 10 minutes jog from me, um, and it's pretending not to breathe, um, and the timbre in his voice, um, and the way he constructs lyrics, and the way he constructs songs, is just mind-blowing. Um, and... <clears throat> He had a very famous girlfriend, and I forget her name, and she she's a musician, and um, he, he, he contributed significantly to her album, I think, and um, I don't know why the guy's not famous, because he's just, he, he, he blows my mind.
2: How did you discover him?
1: Through a friend. Um, a friend introduced me to his music, um, and um, I actually took that friend with Barry down to Boogaloo um, to, to, to have him sing a few bits and do a bit of stuff in London. This is a few yeah. years ago. Um but uh, yeah, just just through a friend. But I mean his stuff's on you can you can access his stuff, you can get it. And I think he's got a lot of traction now. Um but honestly, we should it blows my mind, the guy. He's just
2: I, beautiful. I, I checked it today and yeah, beautiful is a great word to describe what he does. It's 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 absolutely beautiful. And uh hmm. Um, I mean, also, you, you, just thinking about the, the sort of late 80s and, and, and early 90s, you know, in them formative years, uh, you've not really touched on many other Scottish bands. And when I cast my mind back to that period, and the biggest bands in British pop music. I think at that point, whether it be Deacon Blue, Wet, 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 The Proclaimers, Primal Primal Scream, you know, so many like huge, you know, bands, Hugh and Cry, were all coming out of Scotland and, and dominating the charts. Like, did, was that something that sort of filtered through to the, you know, the streets of Glasgow, just like, you know, look at the musical output that we're, that we're sort of throwing out to the world here because these were like, you know, global selling artists.
1: We did identify with those guys as being from our world, um, but we also identified with other people from similar worlds and similar places. You go into any, if you went into any bar or prison in that era, and you would hear Tracy Chapman, and and um, you'd hear a lot of gangster rap, and you'd hear a lot, so that people would identify with that. Um, You'd would, you would hear the weirdest songs and and you, from Glasgow, I think we identified more with with, with that kind of working class struggle than we did with anything else. Um, weirdly, it was, there was things like Neil Diamond and Dr Hook. You would go to parties, it'd be those guys. You'd hear Eurythmics, you'd hear Jerry Rafferty, you would hear the famous Alex Harvey band, all those guys. But that, you know, that's from the 70s, the 80s, the 90s. Um, Primal Scream in the 90s really were the guys that you thought, yeah. man, he blows away. That first album, Scream Delica. Oh. Uh, even Bobby Gillespie himself says that it was it's a scrappy album, but it's the best thing. It, it, it's a lovely, lovely piece
2: of work. I don't think any um, album catches, catches a moment like that record. That definitely. captures the 89, 90 perfectly. What was happening <laughs> culturally, what was happening musically, what was happening just with... with with drugs, with clubs, with everything, that record nails it, Aye. it's just perfection, it, it really It's one of the really great is. albums,
1: and, and you could walk into, I, I mean, I had a flat when I was very, before I went back to the homeless unit, I had a, my own flat, and we had a big poster, a primal scream on the wall, front and centre, that was the Screamadelica album, you know, um, <clears throat> no, it was, It was. Uh, we did identify with that, we, 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 we had, and and you go to any party, you'll, you'll definitely hear Deacon Blue, you'll definitely hear Runrig, you'll definitely hear Big Country, you'll hear, you'll hear all the Scottish people. But yeah. we, we, we broadened it, I suppose, to anybody who was, was from what we saw as the wrong side of the tracks, you know? Absolutely.
2: Last track, and you get to play um, Tastemaker now. Um, and for track seven, I'm going to ask you to tell me a song that you think many people may not know that you would like them to hear.
1: <laughs> Dr Hook more like the
2: movies okay tell me about that
1: so it's just from an album that again I used to listen to my dad um, <clears throat> and I, I don't know just the, the lyrics strike me as being from a place where somebody's seeing somebody go their own way and they're happy for that but he's kind of sad that he couldn't make things a bit better for her and it's not something I identify with personally I've never felt like that in a relationship or whatever but um It just seems like like from from a I don't know a place a kind of personal tragedy. So I I don't know, but it it seems to to me like such a I don't know. It's a song that makes me smile weirdly, and and I don't know why it makes me smile. So it's the idea of those lyrics being quite sad, but it's still making me smile.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, which which I quite like because there are other songs when, when I'm working and when, I, when I'm acting, sometimes I make up playlists if I need to have an emotional scene or whatever. And it's usually always happy songs that kind of make me cry. I don't know why, but the, this sad song makes me laugh. I don't know why.
2: Do you, do you ever kind of, when you get a character, create a playlist of, of what you think that character would be into and things like that? All the time. Really? All the time, every time. It's the easiest way
1: of... Get, it's the easiest way of reconnecting with, with a character. So, if you do all this work and research in what you might call the method school, you don't want to, you know, strut around in the character. So, you need to find these centres or these anchors or these pathways back to that character um, to prepare yourself. And music's the for me, music's the best way to do that. Wow. Um, yeah, so I do that. I, I, not only do I do um, playlists for the character, but <clears throat> I also make mixtapes for the other people, the, the, what, what mixtape would I send him? What mixtape would I send her? Um, and I made the mistake very early on in my career of letting somebody see behind the curtain. And I had this romantic scene with this girl and, um, <clears throat> I, I was a young man myself and I, and I said, um, do you want to hear the mixtape I made you? And it was the stickiest, ickiest, horriblest moment. <laughs> so I don't ever tell anybody about it now. I don't give them, you know, the anchors or the yeah. pathways, whether it be an object. I don't I don't give that anymore because it's my thing. It doesn't, they don't resonate with it, but I do it for I, I yeah, well, it's one of the first
2: things I do. Wonderful. Well, we put together our own little mixtape for this podcast uh, with all the songs that you've, you've picked and some of the others that we've chatted about throughout this, this natter. And uh, we put that up on Spotify so people can go and check out all of those songs. Um, well, 2022's fastly gathering pace, and it's looking like a, a far more positive and connected world than uh, than the previous two years and so i'm going to ask you with, with that in mind um what you're looking forward to personally and what's going to be happening professionally
1: well professionally i'm, I'm going to kosovo in a couple of weeks time uh, i'm going to make a film out there um and then i come back and then i go to la to meet my uh, I've, uh, I've got some american people that, that i need to meet about some stuff um and then i start Hopefully, start back on on the Apple job if if, if it goes again um, pretty soon after that, um, and then hope to just fit in as much as I can. I'm I'm, I'm reading an audio book next week. One, book next week, one of the big books of of big Scottish books of last year. This is the sequel that's coming up. I can't say what it is, but I'm I'm, I'm going to go and read that, which is kind of culturally important to me. Um, and I've started a little production company as well with with a couple of fantastic writers. Um, and we have, like, three projects already that people are really enthusiastic about and have picked up and have given us some money for. So, professionally, things are are, um, are going really well. Wonderful. Personally, um, <clears throat> I want to try and finish the house. I want to try and um, get out to see my dad a little bit more than, 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 than I do. Um, and I, I don't know, I just want to make my mum happy because she's always on my back these days for you know, the garden needing done
2: or this needing done or whatever. Well, sitting around with your feet up with a hernia ain't going to get that garden finished, mate. a <laughs> <laughs> <It's> mental. <laughs> Chris, it's been an absolute pleasure getting a chat records with you, mate. I really appreciate your time of day, and I wish you all the best, mate. With, uh, I've with the enjoyed rest of that year. so
1: much. Thanks very much.
2: There you go. Chris Riley, one absolutely delightful man. Um, ridiculous, ridiculous journey who just stumbles into acting at that, that point in life after just having the most remarkable, doing the most remarkable things in what he was doing for the homeless? Yeah, just good soul, man. Uh, an absolute good soul. Um, yeah, go check out Slow Horses, um, and obviously go check him out in all of his work that he's done previously, whether that be Rafferman, Man, Game of Thrones, Industry, The Last Post, so much stuff. Um, yeah. I think we're done. As mentioned at the beginning, go check out the back catalogue for loads of other episodes. You can support the podcast by subscribing or just giving us a follow on the socials or if you're feeling generous and you can spare $1. What's that? 70 odd P. If you can spare that a month, you get to watch all the episodes. I put up all the videos. Uh, You get access to a back catalogue of another 300 episodes full of radio shows and all sorts of stuff and essentially you're supporting the podcast you can find out anyway about all of this back catalogue socials merch everything at your one-stop shop off the beat and track podcast.com in the meantime be bloody lovely to each other i'll see you next time much love Bye bye It's off the Beat and Track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. he'd me stew with